Talking Bollocks podcast brought to you by Go Loud. It's me, COB. It's me, Terry Flower. And today we're joined by Deirdre Gogarty. Deirdre, how are you? Great. Thanks for coming into us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Deirdre, for yourself, with every guest, we'd like to take it back to the start. So if you want to tell us where you're from and what life was like growing up for yourself. Uh, well, I'm from just outside Drogheda, Mornington, just outside Drogheda. And um, I grew up in a very nice area, very nice family. Um, both my parents were dentists. I was the youngest of seven children. All my older brothers and sisters went into, you know, went to higher education, college, good careers and all that. Uh, I did very poorly in school. I had undiagnosed dyslexia, so I really struggled in school. Um, home life wasn't too good. After all my brothers and sisters left, my parents' marriage got really traumatic and a lot of bad stuff going on. And I was kind of left in the middle of the two of them. So I was very, very unhappy. And um, I was getting bullied a lot at school because uh, I'm so shy. And uh, I guess I look like an easy target. So I remember seeing a clip of Jack Dempsey and um, how he would fight people bigger than him. And um, also he would do things like walk across the desert and fight and walk back again, just like for a couple of hundred dollars, which of course is a lot of money back then. Yeah. And uh, it just really captivated me that you could learn a skill that you could beat someone bigger than you with it. So that really interested me, but I kind of suppressed it because I knew girls aren't supposed to be interested in stuff like that. So then of course, Barry McGuigan won the world title in 85. I was 15 and, uh, it became a mainstream topic, boxing and talking about Barry. So uh, I was able to open up more about, you know, following Barry. But I was really absolutely, totally obsessed. But I really couldn't show people um, how obsessed I was. I actually stuffed a sailing bag with a newspaper and hung it in my cupboard at home and started punching away. No clue what I was doing. I was just learning out of books, reading about Jack Dempsey and... Um, and I just uh, kept working away on the bag, didn't tell anybody. My father moved his surgery to Wellington Key in Drogheda, and it happened to be right across the parking lot from the Drogheda Amateur Boxing Club. So I would go to a surgery, and I'd sit in the waiting room, and I'd study the club night after night. I'd just watch it, ne not, never thinking I'd ever actually be part of it. So... Um, did you, did you get into boxing because you were being bullied in school? Not just because, but um, I think it might have been part of what fascinated me with boxing. Yeah. So um, because bo boxing, you know, bullies get sorted out real quick in a boxing ring. So that really drew me to it. And um, I didn't have the courage to go and approach anybody because girls weren't allowed in the gym. And back then it was kind of considered girls were a nuisance. They were distracting the boys. They were just in there to hook up and, you know, they just run them off. So um, finally what gave me the courage to actually approach the gym was I saw Marvin, Mar uh, Marvin Hagler fighting Sugar Ray Leonard in 87. And I said, oh, that's it. I'm going. So uh, I saw the, the coach, Joe Leonard, standing outside the club one day. And I, I said, I'm going to go talk to him. So. I was walking across that parking lot with my heart pounding out of my chest. 
So I just started chatting him up. We started talking about Barry McGuigan. And I always remember he said that Barry was a fanatical trainer and he was the first man in the gym and the last to leave. So I said to myself, if I ever get in this gym, I'm going to be the first in the gym and the last to leave. And it's mad when you think about it because, yeah, you can take the benefits on boxing. As you said, you can sort your bullies out. It gives you more self-confidence. But the fact mm-hmm. that you'd never even been in a boxing gym and yeah. that boxing, just watching boxing give you the inspiration to go and talk to somebody like that and take that leap when you mm-hmm. said you were somebody who was like incredibly shy. Yeah. So, the trickle-down effect it's having just from seeing it on the telly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I didn't know anybody that knew anything about boxing, even liked boxing. So I had to approach just totally cold like this total stranger, and I had no idea what his reaction to me would be. Yeah. And I think I'd, he was really puzzled by me, like really, like this Dennis' daughter is over here talking about boxing. Where is this coming from? So I think to kind of get rid of me, he said, look, you can come back and watch the lads train the next night we're open. And um, I showed up. <laughs> yeah. so, did you run a boy, your parents aren't? No, like, gonna, no, no, gosh, no, no, I, I didn't tell my parents at all. In fact, uh, when I did finally get to start sparring and everything, I wouldn't even ask them to make me a gum shield. I was so worried that they'd... They wouldn't allow try it. to interview. Yeah. So you were sparring yeah. with no gum shield? I was sparring with no gum shield, and I actually did a really, uh, I got caught. With they, the gloves weren't great. The gym didn't have a lot of money. The gloves weren't great, and the guy's knuckle went right through the glove and hit me up, up above the front tooth and uh, cracked, actually cracked the bone. And years later, I had to have surgery on it. Jesus yeah. Christ. So. <laughs> it's so ironic as well, isn't it? Considering like what the family practice is. is yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> See, when you were tra- you said you were training at home, you mm. you you had a bag at home, had you? Or yeah. Had you got gloves yourself? Yeah, I did. I found a little old pair of um, leather gloves in a secondhand uh, shop in Drogheda. Yeah. And they, they didn't even match, but um, I loved them. I just, just the feel of putting my hand in the glove, I just loved that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come yeah. what do you think is the benefits of boxing? I wanted to ask you actually beforehand, but it's just at the coming to me now. There's a lot of critics about boxing out there. Like, yeah. well, not a lot. There's a few critics of boxing. It's just violence and this and the other. What would you say the benefits of boxing are for, well, any, for anybody? Well, one number one, I mean, they talk about violence. Um, as human beings and especially as young, young human, you know, boys and girls, there is a natural fighting instinct in us. And... Um, it can be much stronger in other people, some people than others, and uh, it's natural to have aggression, especially young. So if you can take a young person with that natural aggression and that instinct to fight and put them in a ring where they can do it in a positive way and accomplish something, I mean, uh, the amateur boxing pro- program's fantastic. Um, a lot of these kids find father figures that they don't have at home, and... Um, they learn discipline, respect, uh, family. That it becomes like a family in a boxing club. I mean, there's so many benefits besides, obviously, the physical fitness. Um, there's so many psychological benefits to boxing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I could go on all day with the stories of the kids that came in off the street in our club and we turned their life around. They may not have become champions, but they came, became much better citizens. Mm. And are you the only girl in this gym in Drogheda at the time? At the, yeah, there was another girl that came in, but she was training for some soccer and I did try sparring her, but she didn't like it too much. So that was the end of that. <laughs> yeah, so she came in to help up our game in a different sport. Um, yeah. 
Was it rare then to have a girl in any kind of gym in Ireland at the I time? I didn't know of any others in any other gym. I heard about a nun that was uh, boxing and I was trying to get a match with her, but it never materialized. So you're basically just in it just for the love of it. Like, you know, yeah. this probably won't go anywhere, but this is just what I want to do. Well, I was told that, but I still believed I would be a world champion. And I believe there'd be other women out there that would love boxing too and want to fight and that we'd be able to make great fights. Back then it was like, as we're talking about, it was crazy for women to fight, or for girls to fight and stuff like that. How did you have this vision of becoming a world champion? And yeah. how did you see a goal when there was nobody before you? Well, I, I just figured I wasn't going to fight like a girl. I was going to fight like a man as much as I could. And I knew that there had to be other girls out there that would love to do it. Because older women would tell me, gosh, if they had boxing when I was young, I'd have loved to have done that. So I knew there was women interested in it. It just needed to be opened up and give them a chance. And um, I believed that... Um, I mean, people say, are you surprised? No, not at all. That's exactly what I envisioned. I knew women could fight at that level. It was mm. just a matter of time. It's mental how you had that vision mm -hmm. back then, especially, like, I think now we see the likes of Katie and all, and we're like, oh, that's brilliant. But back then, like, for a girl to go in, like yourself, and have that vision like that, if you would have said that to people back then, they probably would have thought you were crazy. Yeah, and yeah. there was no even pathway. It's not as if you can be like, right, if you apply yourself, right, we can get you a few fights and go mm -hmm. to the Olympics and then move on. It was like, no, there was, like yeah. women's boxing wasn't a thing. No, no, there was nothing. So um, I just felt like I had to work really hard, get as skillful as I possibly could. And eventually a few people would get together and say, hey, we've got to give this girl a shot, you know. Mm -hmm. so, Once you <laughs> keep showing up. So how do you eventually... Get your force for you. How does so that I went about? on uh, the Pat Kenny radio show that was in 1991, and a listener got word to PJ Bennis, who had a uh, who was doing kickboxing and boxing down in Limerick, and he had a girl kickboxer. So uh, they put us on the undercard of a kickboxing show as a regular boxing match. So it was unsanctioned. So I didn't let any word get out to the uh, IABA because I was worried they'd put a stop to it. So just me and my coach went down there. I didn't tell any family, no friends, nothing. What year did the law, they pass a law, wasn't it, to ban uh, women that, from boxing? Um, that, that's what I've heard. I mean, it was always banned as far as I was told. Um, yeah. And uh, they would come up with different reasons. Like my coach tried real hard just to get exhibition matches on regular boxing cards. And um, they'd always come up with stuff like, uh, well... It could cause breast cancer. Um, it could cause ovarian damage. It, um, men, uh, women are unstable on their menstrual cycle, so they can't box because of that. And it was just all these really vague reasons just to not be bothered with it. Mm. Well, it was technically illegal, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. That's great. That, isn't that, because that's not that long ago. Like, no, that's, no, that's no, it's, no lifetime, yeah, I mean, that's only, um, you know, early 90s. 20, yeah, only mm. just two and a half decades ago. <laughs> like, that's yeah. only gone, like, that's... We were both alive when this was going on. Like, that is scary to think about, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, when did you tell your parents that you were boxing them? What was their response? Um, I did tell them after I, I had the first fight. The one down in Limerick, and I won. They announced a decision, and I won the fight. So I thought once I told them that I won, they'd be uh, happy. You know, they think I'm decent enough to do this, and I won't get hurt. Because they were mostly worried about me getting hurt. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But you can kind of see where they're coming from. Like, we now, now they uh, disrespect towards you, but like, being a dentist is a solid group. <laughs> yeah, you have yeah. parents there who are established already. You think like, look, we can we can sort some out here. And you're like, no, yeah. I'm going to do the sport that I'm not allowed to do. <laughs> I don't know if I can make a living from, but I'm going to do that anyways. Yeah. They must be like, what is going on? Did they see any kind of change in you? When you like, from when you would have started boxing, obviously you would have grown in confidence and stuff like this. Did they uh, ever say that they noticed this? Um, no, I can't say they have. That's an interesting question, though. Um I'm not really sure about mm. that. Did you feel it though? Um, How different did you feel from? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely felt uh, more confident. Just the fact I'd finally gotten the ring and I'd done what I dreamed of doing. I trained for four years for that fight, so to finally get in there and do it, yeah, it was a big boost. That's m like even that is mad. Like four years you were training, and then yeah. you finally got your first fight. It's an unsanctioned fight. It's yeah. it's in Limerick. And just showing that car, that's just all. <laughs> like you're just waiting for a train that you don't know if it's gonna come or not. Yeah, basically. yeah. It's crazy yeah, exactly. when you think about it. Yeah. So what what happens? What's the follow-on from that fight then in Limerick? Um. So, uh, Pat started making contacts in London because he was a former British welterweight champion. Him and his brother were both British champions, so they had a lot of contacts in London. So he started talking to people in London, and then um, we went over there for a fight in a the basement of a pub. It was also unsanctioned. And um, we stayed with a friend of his who was a pro referee called Patty Sower. And he knew this Bo Williford in the States. And he said, if um, if anybody knows anything about boxing in America, it's Bo. And if you want to box, that's where you got to go. America. So America, yeah. women's boxing was a thing in, in the States. Well, it was licensed. It had been licensed since, since the 70s. Um, there was a little bit of activity going on. I'd heard of this uh, girl called Chris Cruz that was boxing. So I was trying to get a match with her. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it's just I'm still kind of baffled. Like for people that don't really understand boxing and not in with it, like unsanctioned, how dangerous it is to have unsanctioned matches. Like the reason yeah. why these matches are sanctioned by governing bodies is to make sure the right rules are followed, the right mm. procedures are followed, and then the right aftercare is followed. Like, you could yeah. be going around with a concussion and then taking a fight on three days' notice or something like that. Yeah, but absolutely. that's why it's so important to have um, sanctioned fights. So, mm. you go stateside then, I'd imagine. Yeah, so, yeah, he, so, my uh, coach knew Paddy, Paddy knew Bo, so Paddy put the pressure on Bo to have a look at me, give me a chance. So I was able to send him my fights, footage of my fights from Limerick and from London so he could see, you know, I was could fight a bit. And uh, I didn't hear from him for nine months, and he finally called, and uh, he asked me to come over. He said he watched the tapes, and I was one bad mother. <laughs> so he asked me to come over but I didn't find out till I was already over there that he didn't actually want me there he was only doing it to return the favor to Paddy yeah. he figured I'd last a couple of weeks and then I'd be on the next plane back to Ireland because the heat and the training would be too hard mm, what year are we talking huh? Uh that would have been 93 fucking hell yeah did you say you moved to Dublin and boxed out St. Saviour's as well yeah so um, in nine in 89, I was working on the um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for Murakami Wolf Dublin. So, um, and then my parents split, of course. They'd been split for a while. I was living by myself in the house, and then the house got sold. Um, so 
I moved up to Dublin. I was really worried about leaving the Draught Amateur Boxing Club because I finally, you know, I've been in there two years and now I would have had to turn around, start over and try to get another gym to accept me. So I um, went to the St. Saviour's Boxing Club and walked in, saw John McCormick. Of course, I didn't know who they were at the time, but a taller man and a shorter man and the shorter man was uh, the first to talk to me, and I explained everything very carefully. And he said, why would a nice young girl like you want to train with these bums? (laughs) (laughs) That's madness, isn't it? Was it it a shock for you going from where you come from to literally the north inner city of Dublin? Well, I was really excited about it. To me, it was like the most authentic boxing club. I mean, I was just thrilled to be part of that. It was... um, um, yeah, I mean, I wanted to be in the most uh, kind of hardcore, serious, um, really, you know, um, steeped in boxing, uh, no BS type of club. So, yeah. uh, I mean, I loved that they let me come in. <laughs> so although you're sure you wanted to throw yourself into the deep end and there. Oh, really yeah, the deep end, yes. Straight There's no messing about <laughs> there, into the, yeah. the north and I see you straight into that club specifically. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah, that's a yeah. single swim mentality, isn't it, yeah, really? Literally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so, I cycled there every training session. I cycled and I was the first there and the last to leave. It's brilliant, mm-hmm. man. But obviously, you're going to get into where that took you then in, in your journey. So you, you went to America then, yeah? Yeah. And then what's that like down for you? Well, America was really tough. Uh, That was really, um, that was kind of like my boot camp of life. So I went from St. Saviors and went to the States expecting, you know, similar or better conditions. And um, turned out I was training in basically what was converted from a chicken shed into a gym, a makeshift gym. I mean, it was no bigger than... It was probably half the size of this room. Uh, The ring was just uh, basically some rope um, tied from wall to wall and one bag, and that was it. So the conditions were a lot worse? Oh, horrible, yeah. What part of the States is this? Louisiana, South Louisiana. Um, That's just all they had. And um, the guy who actually owned the property the gym was on was Kenny Vice. I don't know if you remember, but he had a brutal knockout over Jim McDonald uh, years ago. And Jim McDonald had beaten Barry McGuigan, basically. So I was about to spar the man who retired the man who retired Barry McGuigan. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that was pretty intimidating. My very first spar uh, just the day after I arrived in the States was against Kenny Vice. And in the gym... They would set up this big, big crawfish boiler, and they'd boil water in the gym. Louisiana is already very hot and humid, and they'd boil this water in the gym like it would be steam. The only window in the gym they had covered with a black trash bag, and it would be so hot in there, it was unbearable, and then have to spar on top of it. So it was brutal, and I often questioned if I'd made the right decision. So that's part of the conditioning training. Yeah. yeah basically, yeah. Again, yeah. throwing yourself into the deep end. Yeah. As soon as you went over there, that's straight into the deep end again. So when is your force for you? So um, I'd written letters around the States before I left. Any kind of contact I got at all to anything to do with boxing, I'd write a letter and ask if they had a girl I could box. And I didn't ask about weight, money, nothing like that. Um, I offered to even box for free. So... um 
Bo got a, a call from someone who got my letter and offered a, a fight with Stacy Prestige in Kansas City. So that was, I think, two weeks after I arrived in America. So we're talking '93-ish. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how did you get on there then? Uh, so uh, trained super hard. The training was super hard. I mean. Honestly, I kind of went into that fight almost overtrained, too much training and too short of a time. So I was really, really sore and tired. Was that anxious? And, uh, was that because you were anxious coming up to the fight? Yeah, I was just, anxious too. Yeah. And I was very anxious to prove to Bo that I was worth keeping around. Yeah, yeah. And then they put us in these crazy 12-ounce gloves. And uh, I don't know. I guess they were worried we'd hurt each other or something. So we were fighting in 12-ounce gloves, which is pretty heavy for 125-pounders. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, uh, in the fight, she, she head-butted me, and I got a really bad cut, and the doctor stopped it. But they called it a technical draw because it was a head-butt. Yeah. So um, it was a very disappointing start. Yeah. And um, I thought Bo would just be done with me and send me on home, but... I went, I came back home because I couldn't spar for six weeks anyway. And I was home, I was so homesick, I could barely stand it. So I, I came back home and uh, he called and said, well, when are you coming back? I said, well, you want me to come back? He said, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So he set up another match with her. So I got a rematch with her. And you won the rematch, didn't you? I, uh, well, I feel I really dominated it, but I got a draw. It was another again, draw. And it was again in her hometown. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you think the politics played a part in that? Uh, <laughs> Who's to say? I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about your first win then as a pro. Um, so, well, my first win would have been in London, um, you know, technically as a, as a pro. You know, the, it wasn't actually sanctioned, but there was a body set up to kind of this British ladies boxing um, license, which I, I don't think are still around, but it was just a way of kind of getting around being able to get an actual license from the real boxing union, mm. uh, which didn't come till way later, till Jane Couch fought in court to get that. Mm. So uh, we wanted to get to the fights, not the courts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so that was great. That was a great win. Um, you fought, I suppose the biggest, the biggest point in your career would be the Christy Martin fight. Yeah. Um, for those that don't know, that was on a Mike Tyson undercard. Yeah. On Showtime. Right, 1996. Yeah. Which is crazy when you think about it. Talk yeah. to us about this one because I've done a bit of research. You were built into the ring. Yeah, yeah. I remember that well. There was a lot of celebrities there. So. Uh, what Tyson fight was it? It was the second fight against Bruno. Mm. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I got um, Bo called me one night and said... Uh, so you're fighting Christy Martin on the Tyson Bruno card, which I knew was the following week. And I said, okay. He didn't tell me how much, what the weight was, nothing. We just took it. So, uh, uh, you know, I mean, she was the one that was getting the promoting. Everybody was hearing about her. So it was a big opportunity. It was a crazy fight to take, but a crazy fight not to take. Yeah, you had to take the opportunity. And yeah. back then, so, sorry, I, thought, I know you're going to say something now, but back then... Was there big differences in weight in the fights because there was so yeah. little? Yeah, well, uh, back then they kind of, you know, because there was uh, fewer women, they kind of uh, didn't, um, they let us fight out of our weights a lot. So I fought out of my weight a lot. So I'd already fought girls significantly bigger. Yeah. Um, the problem with Christy Martin is she was very good and a big, big puncher. Yeah. 
She could knock women out with one punch, which is unusual. So, um, so they, they, they have to, you have to weigh within a certain amount or they're not going to let you fight. Uh, so I couldn't weigh in too low. So Bo went and got a bunch of quarters from the casino and put, I put them in my pockets, my socks, my jacket, all, all over, wherever I could put them. So I've just made uh, the weight enough. <laughs> I'm actually shocked by that. Like that sounds like that sounds like something you'd see in a film. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's actually so dangerous. Like trying to add weight onto yourself to fight someone who's a lot bigger than you. Yeah. To have a fight on a Muay Thai and that it just sounds crazy to me. Like. Yeah, but I mean, hey, it was a big shot. You know, it was a big fight. So. So yeah, tell us about big. the actual occasion and the event what's it like walking making the walk to the ring celebrities oh, in the know, crowd it's very surreal very uh really re- really surreal but yeah at first i mean there was a ton of english fans there because of um Bruno, Bruno, yeah. and um so but when we walked out i mean i didn't expect them to boo and jeer us i thought you know at least they'd give us a chance to fight first see how we look but immediately when they saw it was women they started booing. They, I mean, they would just want to get it over with and see Mike Tyson. I guess they thought we were going to slap each other around or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I'll never forget, like, when I got in the ring and I started looking out, I uh, started seeing famous people. I was like, wow, you know, you're used to watching them perform, not the other way around. And um, so when once the round started, and I, I'll remember – about midway through the round, Christy, I caught her with a really good left hook. I had a really good left hook, and I caught her with it, and she dropped her hands and laughed at me. So I jumped right on her, and I caught her with uh, probably uh, maybe four or five punches, and the crowd just went nuts over it. So I could feel the whole momentum shift, and by the end of the first round, I mean, they were on their feet cheering. So as I build in, I'm probably cheered out then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How did the fight go? It, was, it goes down as a absolute brawl, doesn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I, of course, you know, fighters always feel like it's, if a loss is a failure, no matter, you know, for me personally, it's a failure. But for women's boxing, it was a huge win. Yeah, because I was speaking to a friend of mine last week and he was asking who we had coming up on the podcast. I mentioned your name. And one of the things that's really, really heartbreaking about your story is so little people actually know about it. Mm-hmm. and he knew exactly who you are, and he told me, go home, get on YouTube, look up poor fight with Christy Martin. He says the two of them go hell for leather with each other, and the crowd is electric. Mm-hmm. So he was able to tell me this. Yeah. And then I've obviously heard you speak about it as well. So it's something that's, actually, it is like something of a film. It might make a good Netflix documentary. You never <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though. Yeah. Doesn't that sound mad? Like you're putting stuff in your pockets to make way... Like, to put on weight to fight somebody who's too much bigger than you, like, mm. that almost sounds surreal. Like, it doesn't... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. How did the fight go? How did you feel it went with the, um, with the outcome and things like this? Yeah, I mean, I feel I boxed well. She was just so strong, and um, she dropped me in the second round. It wasn't, it wasn't really a punch that, like, had me dazed. It was just the momentum of the punch. She caught me at the right angle. My, you know, she, I was a little off balance the way she caught me. And I jumped right back up, but I knew right then, once you get dropped like that, if you don't come back and drop them, it's very, very hard to make up the point difference. Mm, Um, So, but I mean, I boxed well, and I think um, I should have won some rounds. The cards were very lopsided, but a lot of people felt um, I could have got a draw. Some people even felt I won. 
um, but she was, you know, you feel the strength, that, that strength difference and that uh, weight difference. You feel that in the later rounds. Yeah. So. So although it was bad for your record, it probably didn't do any harm in your stock though. No, yeah, no, it. I yeah. got a lot more calls and got a lot more fights from it. So that was great. Yeah. How does the world title fight come about? So I got in another five. After that fight, I had five inside the distance wins. And then I got another shot at the world title in 97. And that was against Bonnie Canino. And she was a really excellent fighter. She was also kickboxer as well. I believe she, she was a world champion kickboxer as well. So um, she already had the title. So um, I was fighting her as the challenger. Where does the fight take place? Um, in New Orleans, Louisiana. As well, yeah. Yeah, so that's the closest thing I've ever come to a hometown fight. I was uh, living in Lafayette, but, you know, it's uh, not really a hometown fight, you know. Uh, Ireland would be a hometown fight. Yeah. yeah. So. Is it true you didn't get paid for the world title fight? Yeah, that's true. Not a penny. What happened Hell. there? Oh, the promoter just scarpered and didn't pay anybody. Yeah, so it was what made it really hard is I... I always wanted to be a full-time boxer. I always worked a full-time job as a graphic designer to pay the bills. And, and I really, my dream was to just box, just focus on training, getting the proper rest, proper nutrition. And um, so I quit my job two weeks before the world title fight to rest properly and be properly prepared. So when I didn't get paid, back to the day job. So that was pretty demeaning. Mm. Mm -hmm. Crazy. How much was the payday supposed it was to be. supposed to be uh twelve thousand five hundred dollars which would have been a lot of money then. oh that would have been a lot yeah and so the promoter just legs it and pays nobody on the card nobody nobody yeah it's probably not that wasn't uncommon though was it really for promoters uh, well i don't know if it was uncommon but they changed the rules after that and ironically i actually got um uh, appointed to the boxing commission years and years later and i found out because of that show they changed the rules where the promoters have to put up a bond so that if for any reason they um don't bring enough money there's still money to pay the fighters yeah it's, so. it's a it's it's like it's mental the whole story is like yeah finally get it was never about money for you, though. No, no. Like, I know you didn't get paid there, and you definitely mm. should have. It's a world title for you. It's a lot of money on the line also. But your attitude towards boxing, how you're going into it, why you're going into it, all the obstacles you had to go through, was definitely never about money. Because I don't mm. think... I know you had a vision and a goal in your head to open these doors that nobody has opened before you. But I doubt you seeing a financial route or a, a way of being rich, let's say, through boxing. I doubt yeah. you could even see that at the time. So you definitely didn't start it for money. Yeah. No, no. If I'd done it for money, I'd have given up yeah. <laughs> pretty quick. Yeah. Mm. Um, so after winning the world title, you said that was technically a, a, a hometown fight for you. Did you ever think about saying, right, I want to fight in Ireland? I want to oh, bring yeah. this back home. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to fight in Ireland. And um, my coach talked to the... Uh, boxing union and they said well write a tell her to write a letter explaining why she should get a license and all that and i did got no response well, wrote another one uh i think i did get an application maybe or at least i tried to fill it out in my letter but i never got a response again so i'm still waiting on my uh license <laughs> to <laughs> so come in have you only ever had one fight in ireland yeah 
That was Just, that one. That was that one. Your yeah. very first. Mm -hmm. That's your yeah, only ever that's fight. That's my only one. And I really thought that fight would lead to more. I thought it would um, show people that women could fight. Mm. And I thought by going overseas and doing all the fighting I did and, and winning the world title, I mean, I'm probably the only world champion in history that's not allowed to fight in their own country. Um, when you were being introduced, were you uh, being introduced as an Irish fighter? Oh, yeah. Fighting out of Ireland. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fighting out of Ireland, yeah. Fucking, yeah, it's crazy. Thing. I know it's a country that won't let you fight in it, like yeah, which yeah. is it's it it it's baffling when you think as well that you applied for a license what twenty five years ago, a bit mm, more, and yeah. they didn't even bother to no 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 uh, response at all. Just didn't want to deal with it. That yeah. it's actually heartbreaking. Like it's you had a forgotten, I'd say forgotten heroine of Irish sports. You can't say forgotten mm. hero, you know. Um, when so. The reason why they're doing a lot of uh, press and media coverage the last few weeks with Katie's fight is a lot of people may not know, but she actually reached out to you early on in her life. Right. And she knew who you were. So when do you first hear from Katie? Uh, so um, I'd heard about her for we had a um, there was a man that used to go to the boxing all the time called Paddy Mulhall. And uh, he knew everybody and everything. And he would tell me about this young girl he kept saying. He'd say, she reminds me so much of you. And um, so finally I heard from her dad. And they came out to my uh, mother's house in Sandy Mount and talked to me about trying to get her matches. She was just having the same problem getting matches. And um, I, I could see that I could see that same determination and and vision she was having that I had and um, I was just trying to encourage her just to keep at it and keep learning the skills because I, I always felt like if we can just prove we can box as good as men can box that it would just be natural to let us fight because I always felt the problem with against women's boxing was that we weren't um, going to be in good enough quality like we wouldn't bring enough um, dignity to the sport wouldn't be um an asset to the sport, and I just felt we had to keep proving what an asset we could be to the sport. So I just encouraged her just to keep at it to, to get somebody's attention. Mm. She sent you a letter, didn't she? Yeah, so that would have been um, between the Christy Martin fight and my world title fight. And um, I, I just, I loved the letter because I was like, oh, great, you know, she's still determined to do this. And uh, I just always remember the words, um, I can't see boxing for girls taking off here anytime soon. I can see why you had to go away to get fights and maybe someday they'll let us box in the Olympics. That's it's actually heartbreaking her, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, considering she would have been a young girl at the time and like all her hopes mm -hmm. and dreams and she realises like my hopes and dreams will never amount to anything. Mm. And then yeah. when you see Saturday night and you realise... It just keeps adding to the legacy. This is the mm -hmm. un, unheard of stuff. This is the un, like the untold story of the whole journey of women's boxing and why it's such a big deal yeah. that it's a thing now and it's established yeah. here in Ireland. And I mean, like if you compare it to the men's game, if you look at the amateur Irish team in men and women's, the women are absolutely thriving. Now, not to say the men aren't doing well, but I mean, the women are absolutely yeah. cleaning up in every single tournament they go to. Yeah, Even in the Olympics as well. It's crazy. So... How old is Katie here? She would have been a early teenager. About 11. 11. Yeah. 11. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sending that letter. Mm -hmm. 
Better, with got... better handwriting than I have now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have you still got the letter? Of course, yeah. So would you yeah. have met her before the letter? That's what uh, it was. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if she came out to the house. Was it before the letter or after? I'm pretty sure it was before the letter. So she was younger again. Yeah, she was young. And yeah. you just felt that this girl will fall out of love with this because of so many obstacles in the way. Yeah, I just felt, I mean, I just hoped and prayed by the time she was a bit older that it would be allowed. And thank goodness it was. Because look at, Ireland would have been deprived of one of the greatest uh, boxers ever if it hadn't been allowed. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's not unfair to say, though, Deirdre, based off the, the letter and the inspiration that you get for that, there's no Katie if there's not a Deirdre. Well, you know? yeah, I mean, she could have been in the same boat I was 25 years ago and nobody'd know. But you yeah, opened she... the door back then for the likes of Katie to come in. Now, she obviously seen the vision of the Olympics. She ran through like it, that. yeah. But it's like yeah. you opened the door where I don't think if you're... If you don't go through the obstacles you went through, Katie would have only been opening these doors, kind of. No, and her no. coming up and then we would have had to wait for after. So Katie probably wouldn't have had that homecoming or... Olympics. Olympics yeah. probably wouldn't be around for women for another bleeding 12, 14, 16 years. You don't know, you know what I mean? Right. So I think it is safe to say that if you don't open that door, we definitely don't see the kind of spectacle we've seen and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, well, it just goes to show you what uh, can happen when you give people a chance. Yeah. yeah. That's all they ask is a chance. They're not asking for any more than a chance to, to do what they love to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Katie fight was special. Um, yeah. I'm not buying into this like it's easy to say now because she didn't get the win that people are like oh why did she pick that fight to tarnish her legacy I think it more cements her legacy oh absolutely the fact that she yeah. could have took an easy fight absolutely. she could have took a nobody in and probably stopped her or got a comfortable mm -hmm. win on, yeah. on points but now she said right if I can't get Serrano I want the next best thing and I'll go yeah. up and chase that yeah. and if I'm bringing this home I'm bringing home a challenge it's not just a, oh, there's Katie, she's great, and she rides off into the sunset. She wanted yeah. the biggest challenge that was there, and it's more testament to her, and that's why I think it really does cement the legacy. Yeah, the tree yeah. arena was bouncing as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were ringside, were you there? Yeah, yeah, I was ringside. Yeah, it was a brilliant fight, uh, and I think they both boxed fantastic. Mm. You know, and, you know, it, definitely, I'm more proud of her for taking a hard fight yeah. And uh, when it, like, I mean, it was a close, you know, I mean, it wasn't a, like it was a wide, I mean, it was pretty close. And, um, you know, she, like you said, she could have taken something, um, a lesser opponent and one easy, but um, she took a hard, very difficult opponent going up in weight. And um, I don't think it affects anything at all, really. I mean, I know her as a fighter, she's probably really upset about the loss to a yeah. fighter. A loss is a failure, no matter what way you look at it. To a fighter, it feels like a failure, but um, it's not at all. It's a win. It's totally immaterial what the decision was. To me, it was a win for Ireland, win for Katie, win for everybody. Yeah, yeah. it was. It was really, really special. And I think in the in the build up to it, like we had friends on the undercard, so like we we're kind of invested in that, and it was very hard to kind of get involved in the atmosphere yeah. until it came time for the main event yeah. and they did a great job in building it up and building it up and they had the music playing and everything and then when the main event happened you're like oh like we're we're in the middle of history history yeah. is being made here and it's yeah. great to look back and say remember Katie Taylor's homecoming we were there and you'd be able yeah. to tell people it was electric mm. what it was like but even the fight itself was brilliant and that's what you needed it was a close fight 
You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't one-sided. She didn't get dominated. She didn't dominate, but she didn't look out of adept. You know, it was um, a brilliant performance. And uh, like I said, the loss really, it really doesn't matter, you know. No, definitely. You know, it really, it's not going to really affect anything. If anything, it'll make, if she gets to fight in Croke Park, even better. Yeah, make give her more hunger and desire and to rectify that. Yeah, no, yeah. Knowing Katie, she will. <laughs> yeah, I'd watch her rematch as well. Yeah, of course, of course. And Chantel Cameron said yeah. that she'd be willing to go down to Katie's way. Yeah. Wow. I'd yeah. be excited That'd to be see awesome. that. Awesome, yeah, yeah. And That'd as well, awesome. also shout out to a couple of our former guests, Tom O'Carty and Kevin O'Jago getting big wins on the card. Mm. Unfortunately, Gary came up short as well. Yeah. Um, just got caught, didn't he? That's what happens, yeah. yeah. It can That's happen boxing. to anybody. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And but we know he's world class and we know he's gonna come back and avenge that. So I'm just looking forward to see where they come back to from this. Yeah, you know, that's hopefully the they testament do get Crow of Park. a real champ, yeah, yeah. that's how you come back. Hopefully Crow Park yeah. in September is what's on the cards. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Deirdre, when you hung up the gloves, how did you feel? Um, well, you know, I always felt I might be one of those people that might box too long because, you know, I loved it so much. But I remember um I got a real bad shoulder injury in my last five hours before in training for my last fight. And um, I kept trying to come back and, and defend my title. I had several fights that were supposed to happen, one in Argentina, one in Germany. Of course, I was still working on trying to get a fight in Ireland. But I m- remember training for yet another fight, um, not knowing if it was even going to work out or not. And that's hard to get yourself up for training if you don't know you're going to actually get in the ring and doing it over and over. And I'd done that a million times before. So I remember um, one morning getting up to run, and I used to love the train and the Spartan lifestyle, the hard work, the sparring, the dieting, uh, just building your body up to this crescendo of of peak fitness. And uh, one morning I was thinking of, God, I can't wait till the day after the fight. And that's when I knew I needed to retire. Yeah, that that was it. Did you feel like, did you have any regrets returning? No, because I uh, made sure I'd fill the void with coaching. Mm. I made sure that uh, I had something to uh, keep me in the sport and, and, and keep giving back to the sport. So I planned to coach when I retired, and that's what I did for t- over 20 years. Yeah, and plus you did win a world title. I suppose, as you said, you didn't get the fight in Ireland, but that's not for the lack of trying. That no. wasn't on you. There's nothing you could have done about that. So you gave it your all. You applied. You became a world champion. You asked. You knocked on the door. They just kept it closed. You wrote a book. Mm-hmm. Your, your memoirs were published the yeah. day before Katie Taylor became an Olympic champion. Yeah. Was that yeah. planned? or? Um, it just it all just came together like that. And... Um, yeah, I'll never forget when she won the uh, the gold medal. It was just amazing. And uh, no, it just was, was the way it all worked out, you know. Yeah. So maybe it's exactly how it was supposed to be. Yeah, it's actually, it, there's a lot of coincidences, isn't there? When yeah. You know, it's it's very know. strange. Do you get told a lot that you and Katie have similar personalities? Yeah, well, I do, yeah. I'm just gathering that myself from seeing yeah. interviews with Katie and sitting here now with you. You're quite similar in terms of like humbleness, a bit mm. shy, kind of quiet. Quiet, yeah, and she likes um, privacy, and so do I. Yeah. We both like privacy, so yeah, we are very similar personalities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why he's got on so well. Yeah, we just seem to um, click, you know. Yeah, yeah. the statue. 
Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. this is another reason why you're home as well. Um, big shout out to Kara McGoiva, who's actually leading the campaign. Do you want to talk to us about this? They're looking to erect a statue of you in Drada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what was going on when I didn't know anything about this statue. So um, my coach, Bo Williford, died in uh, 2019. And Bo... He pushed really hard. He was great at promoting and pushing, and, and he was always on to the Irish newspapers to put me in the newspaper. And I did get good coverage over the years, but it just started, it faded away, and, and Bo got real ill, and he died. And so I lost my voice in boxing when he died and um, in 2020, which is a horrible year anyway for reasons we all know, but... Um, I was just very, very down and very felt very um, like it's not that I'm uh, jealous of the girl's success today. It's just that you kind of feel that history's been erased a bit because nobody mentions what had to be done before to get to where it is now. Like it didn't just happen overnight. Mm. So, um, um, so I was sharing with a friend that there's not so much as a plaque on a wall in the whole country of Ireland with my name on it over what I'd done, you know. So uh, it's just funny. God's always working behind the scenes because then I hear from this uh, Kieran MacGyver and he's tell talking about what do you think about a statue? And I'm like, wow, I mean... You know, talk about recognition. I mean, it doesn't get any better than having a statue made of you. So it's kind of resurrected my, uh, just the feeling that I'm being appreciated and recognized. And uh, he's worked so hard to get the word out and remind people what I'd done. So feels really good. Mm. And so what's the plans they're looking to? Yeah, they're fundraising at the moment and they're, um, the, the, statues all the way to the life-size clay stage so it can be seen exactly what it's going to look like and mm. i think she did an amazing job the the and where is that, where are they looking to put the statue um they're right now they're considering scotch hall in drogheda which would be perfect because i cycled in and out down the marsh road right by that spot for years in and out to the boxing club and in and out to drogheda so that would be a great spot yeah, and you said the fundraising for us. So if people are looking to donate, where do they go? Yeah, they go to GoFundMe. It's a GoFundMe, yeah. Yeah, it's a GoFundMe. All right. So yeah. I really appreciate it because, man, I really want to see that thing up. <laughs> yeah, no, just with the recognition that is out there for boxing and the accomplishments that women have achieved and across all sport in Ireland, we're really in a great place going forward when it comes to, to women's sports. And then we are coming full circle, like... She got the homecoming that she deserved and Eddie was on her saying it's a shame it's took so long. But in a way, as I said, you're the you're the forgotten person in, in Irish sports. So <laughs> it would be great to give you that recognition as well. And big shout out to Curran, who is a gent. Um, he reached out to us oh, months ago, months ago it was. Um, he's like, look, I've dared you here. Is there any chance of having a podcast? I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, here's a date, book it in. In the build-up too, he's like, no, no, that's still going to go ahead. I was like, of course it is. <laughs> yeah. Two weeks ago, he was like, look, since I've booked in with you, they're just doing this, she's doing that, she's doing this. Match room, I've been onto a, off the ball or onto a pack any or onto a, I was like, Jesus Christ, just as well. <laughs> you booked in early with you. So, uh, yeah, you've done a lot of work with Match Room as well. You were a guest of Yeah, it was great. You yeah, were a guest of honor, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, it was uh, um, just a 
really nice to be treated like a world champion. I'm not used to it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And where's the belt now? Where's your... Uh, well, it's actually at my sister's house right now. I'm afraid I couldn't lug, uh, lug it up to Dublin. So, um, but uh, it's at my sister's. I did have it with me for a few of the uh, occasions. So... Um, yeah, mm. it's it's nice to bring it out again, blow off the dust, and show it off. <laughs> yeah, just to let everybody know. And you're um, coaching. You're still you're coaching. I'm yeah. not at coaching at the moment. We moved, and where I moved to, there's no boxing club, so I started doing karate right. just to get in and throw my hands a bit, and I don't have to get hit in the face anymore. So that's yeah. great. Have you any desire to get in and maybe start your own club, get some girls in? Um, yeah, I'd like to. Uh, I would do my own club if uh, if I had the support, you know, if I had other good coaches. I wouldn't try to do it on my own. It's just too hard, you know. You really need reliable uh, coaches to help out. So yeah. It's tough. Running a boxing club is really tough. So, um, you know, uh, definitely great thing to, to all the boxing club. I love how Ireland has so many boxing clubs. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, a pool of talent as well. Yeah, so. absolutely. Not yeah. essential. No, they are definitely essential. But funding is essential, and I suppose yeah. what we need is persistent people. You know, if people are showing up and they're, sh they're dedicated, you, mm. you can't avoid this kind of stuff if you keep uh, keep knocking on the door, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like in your case, Sergio, you knocked on the door and you'll get someone to bust through it for you. So <laughs> this is where we are. Right, um, anything else? No, come Right, so get on to the GoFundMe. We'll get a statue over there to open draw it. And uh, when we release the podcast, we'll also share the link yeah. to the statue and Brilliant. get people to donate. Yeah, yeah. and hopefully Thank we have you. it done, dusted uh, before you go back home. Well, <laughs> I don't want to say back home. You live in stateside, but you always yeah, you call I'm, this I, home. Yeah, I'm home and home is both places, you know. Which, yeah. Yeah, you kind of have your heart in both of them. Yeah. yeah. Whereabouts yeah. in the States are you living there? Um, in a place called Converse in Louisiana. It's um right by Toledo Bend Lake. Okay, yeah. 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 It, the accent is so funny because like you start... Yeah, it's your, all mixed up. Yeah, <laughs> you start your sentences with an American accent and you finish them with a draw. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 All right, then we'll wrap this one up then, yeah? Yeah. Take us out there, Chris. Boom. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app. What you waiting for? Put your back in it. Just a little The hip knocker. Come down, come down.